you know, there's all these stories about, you know, guys over in Macedonia who are running these fake news sites. Number 24 is Content Farms in Macedonia. Bidiki ako se napravi greška, tak je bide kobna. Nema vrakinja nazad. So, Europe need to, to remain more sexypil lady in the world. Ajde, majkata! Gospode, čuva Macedonija in izinite gregi. I don't have a cold open here, and uh, I'm not prepared like Saturday Night Live to um, sing the Ukrainian national anthem, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which I thought was quite quite interesting. But um, but we we can go we can go with uh, I'm Jason Miko coming to you from the foot of the Catalina Mountains in Oro Valley, Arizona. And this is Tvetin Chelimanov in Skopje, Macedonia. <laughs> and uh, we are the Macedonian content farmers, and today is the last day of February 28. There is no February 29 this year. Or the last day of funny. history, if uh, things... That might be, the, it might be the last day of history, exactly. So I saw a very funny meme the, yesterday saying that uh, uh, you could... I would... You vow to not drink alcohol on February 29, 30, and 31 of this year. So uh -huh. uh, you can you can tell people that. <clears throat> they'll, uh, they'll applaud you for that. Yeah. So, But yeah, maybe, maybe, it is, maybe it is the last day of history. I don't think so. Not quite yet. Um, there is a non trivial chance, I believe, of first use of nuclear weapons in history, I think. Or but third use. <laughs> third use. Oh, yeah. So, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yes, that's true. Yeah. That's right. We, we've used them uh, twice before. So, um, thank you. I forgot about that. Um, uh, but yesterday was quite extraordinary, Svetin, and, and today's Monday, uh, mm. Sunday. The Germans vow to rearm. Um, Putin orders his, uh, his, uh, nuclear deterrent to be moved to a higher state of readiness. Mm -hmm. Uh, the European Union says that it will now provide, not through the EU, but through individual EU countries, it will provide, uh, fighter jets to Ukraine, primarily mm -hmm. from Poland, Slovakia, and Bulgaria, mm -hmm. uh, MIGs, so that, the, so that I, I assume Ukrainian jet fighters can go to Bulgaria, Poland, Slovakia, hop in the cockpit and just fly right over. Yep. Um, you know, it's a kind of turnkey, one be, and done. Yeah, it's going yeah. to be like uh, the, when the uh, Americans gave jets to uh, the British uh, by leaving them on the border with Canada so the British could tow them into Canada by horses and then <laughs> fly them. <laughs> exactly, yes. Um, There's a very good scene in uh, Darkest Hour, I think. <clears throat> yeah, where, yeah. Um, <laughs> Churchill and the, the brilliant... Um, uh, Gary Oldman, who, who played Churchill in that, is having a conversation with uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think he's in the water closet in the uh, toilet uh -huh. talking to him on the phone. And uh, and there's that scene, which is just devastating for uh, Churchill. But yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, the EU said that uh, their citizens could go with their blessings to fight in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And Ukraine said that they would welcome them. Uh, Vladimir which Putin was a criminal deployed... offense in Syria, if you remember. Where in Syria? Uh, in Syria, it was a major no-no. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. It's 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 kind of like it's akin to the French Foreign Legion, essentially, in my opinion, uh, from what I see. Then you, then you then um, uh, Putin has deployed thermobaric uh, weapons to Ukraine, which will incinerate uh, in, entire groups of people. They're they're extremely they're one of the most powerful conventional weapons known to mankind. Yeah. Um, what else? Those those are the kind of the highlights. Of course, they're. 
As we speak right now, uh, it is uh, eight, almost 8.30 in the morning, my time, 4.30 p.m., your time. There are talks going on near the border between Ukraine and Belarus. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's just, and, and, and of course, I, I think, obviously, the extremely dense fog of war prevails, and it's very hard when you, when you read the Twitters, uh, even when you turn on the tube, to figure out what's true and what's not. Mm. And you really have to dig deeply to try and get a sense of what's going on. I've got a, a number of, of, I think, are trusted um, outlets and individuals that I follow on the Twitters that I think are pretty, what they're saying is pretty much true. Um, but it's still very difficult to find out what's going on. I think yeah. I think we can say reasonably the facts are that Putin thought that this would be a, a easy, that he could roll in there, that he could demonize the leadership of Ukraine and the Ukrainians would believe that and welcome him as a liberator. Uh, the Ukrainians have been putting up incredible resistance. Um, the sanctions uh, that the West is putting on Russia and Putin uh, will hurt, but it'll take time for them yeah. to hurt. Obviously, we're seeing bank runs in Russia. The ruble has crashed, uh, etc. Stuff that you know, and the financial sanctions. I'm not entirely sure about. Airspace is closed. Uh, things of that nature, but. Let's since we are the Macedonian content farmers, uh, let's let's tie this in a little bit with Macedonia. Obviously, I'm following the news in Macedonia. You're writing the news in Macedonia. Um, things have kind of everything's kind of taken a back step to to this planet wide, worldwide. Uh, but obviously, Macedonians are are there's a I guess a kinship both with the, oh, yeah. the Ukrainians and the Russians. Uh, on, on, on a number of fronts. Uh, uh, and obviously, Macedonia has uh, diplomatic ties with both countries, embassies in both countries. Uh, there are Macedonians in, in both countries. I know I've seen reports of Macedonians coming out of Ukraine or trying to come out of Ukraine. Yep. Uh, but on, the, on, the, um, on the, uh, the, the social media wars, the Twitters and things like that, it's, it's fascinating to me, at least, to see uh, folks... Um, uh, Macedonians taking the side of, of Vladimir Putin, mm-hmm. and obviously some have taken the side of, of Ukraine. And so let's do this uh, just for fun, um, since we agree so much on this this podcast. Let's let's see if there's any areas of disagreement we might have. Polite disagreement, of course, because yeah, uh, we we believe in that civilized conversation. Uh, you know, I'm I come at it from the standpoint of Vladimir Putin has said the Ukrainians as a people, as an identity, don't yep. exist. And he is prepared to go in there and not only say they don't exist, but he's prepared to kill them mm. if they say they exist. Uh, and he'll start with the decapitation of the government of Ukraine, uh, President Zelensky and the leadership there. And I find that to be absolutely abhorrent. Uh, now, we can talk about, you know, and I, I know that, you know, I've seen Macedonians bring up the uh, Azov Battalion, which has a, a very sordid history. But on the flip side, and this is not whataboutism, on the flip side, you've got... Uh, the Wagner Group, or Wagner Group out mm-hmm. of Russia. You've got uh, the Chechen homosexual maniac okay. warlord uh, Ramzan Kadyrov, who is an Islamist. Um, yeah. Though he's not a very good, he's not a practicing, yeah, he's probably a well, practicing Muslim, but he yeah. doesn't live like a good Muslim. <laughs> so yeah, he's a scumbag. And his fighters are, are known for their um, ruthlessness. Uh, so, and, and then I get the point of, you know, Macedonians who say this was a color colorful, colored revolution that put in Zelensky in power in the first place. You know, we can go back and talk about um, 2014 and the events and Victoria Newland and John McCain and all those guys. 
but but tell me how you see it from there, from Macedonia. Yeah, it's very difficult. Very. I mean, it's uh, this is obviously going to be the Ukraine episode of the Macedonian Content Farmers Podcast, and uh, <laughs> as you said, we definitely have very close ties to both nations. The, both are Orthodox Slavic nations. Uh, Ukraine is mostly Orthodox. So, you know, a lot of, there is a lot of even intermarriage, some travel, a lot of, uh, um, you know, business links, m- mostly with Ukraine, which is closer, but also uh, a lot with Russia. People would point out that Ukraine was the only country which provided us with weapons and uh, uh, serious weapons, like mm. uh, uh, tactical aircraft uh, to hit ground targets and uh, battle, uh, attack helicopters in 2001 when we were attacked by the Albanians. But then, you know, some would say, okay, this means we should be, uh, we should support Ukraine. Others would say, yes, but this was a very pro-Russian government in Ukraine at the time, before the first orange or colored revolution, which brought uh, uh, Yushchenko, that guy, remember, who was being poisoned then Mm -hmm. by the Russians, apparently. So it was, you know, we would say, okay, yes, but we were being armed by Russia through Ukraine by proxy. So uh, this is one early quick item which was uh, being raised to appeal to Macedonia's uh, more patriotic side uh, to support Ukraine. Obviously, the more left-wing, the uh, pro-Western, pro-American side in Macedonia, they all support uh, Ukraine. They have their uh, marching orders and they would say, uh, not only they would say, they would point, they would post a few pictures and uh, um, the Ukrainian flag and then immediately they would turn on the right on the conservative side, and they would accuse them, okay, but you're being silent during this uh, Gaulish invasion of uh, uh, Ukraine by Russia, so you need to speak out. So this was obviously a political attempt by the left to again score points with the U.S. embassy and to say, please don't replace us yet, even though we began to lose elections and we're incredibly corrupt and we cannot really accomplish anything, please don't replace us with the right, which is more popular, more competent, etc., because they are going to side with uh, Russia in this war. And then Vumero then overcorrected, so after being, uh, I think they left the first day without a response, uh, when only, I think, only um, the foreign minister had a response. This was, I think, the first day of, uh, sorry, of the declaration of independence of the two republics by Putin. Uh, so Vomero did not respond immediately. So the next day they started saying uh, we support the territorial integrity. And then they are now even demanding that the parliament adopts a resolution on uh, protecting, safeguarding the integrity of Ukraine. And as well on uh, uh, safeguarding uh, the identity of Godzadelchev, which is the older, the previous uh, Vomero demand uh, in parliament. So they are now, you know, the two main parties in the country are taking the position that they condemn the Russian invasion and are for the territorial integrity of uh, uh, Ukraine. But um, in the case of Vemera, it's to some extent forced by the U.S. embassy. I mean, that much is clear. It's not. Uh, and, and this obviously translates into a lot of the people. Uh, the political division would be, you know, as it translates among the the population, uh, there are uh, uh, some on the left, surprisingly, who sided with Russia. 
I, I didn't see them coming. They're not like important media outlets or anything like that, but we're talking like well-known SDSM supporters in mm-hmm. in the public eye. There are some on Vumara, uh, Vumara side who are outspoken in condemning Russia in what you said. Uh, very clear legal case, invasion of a country which uh, helped us in 2001. Again, we're disputing what regime was in charge in Ukraine at the time. Uh, and uh, which is being denied its right to <clears throat> uh, identify like national identity self-determination, much like uh, the Greeks and the uh, Bulgarians are now doing to us. Uh, but broadly, the division among the SDSM and Vimera is SDSM are going to support uh, the US. They see nothing wrong in the colored revolution. They think that... Uh, uh, the U.S. controlling Ukraine is fine, it's great, uh, through their embassy, with all the evidence of, you know, horrific corruption and the fact that it did not materialize in uh, uh, any, I guess, like, uh, uh, material progress for the country under the U.S., much like here in Macedonia, we didn't see much change now that we are in NATO, in fact, things are getting worse. Uh, while on the Vimera side, the position would be after you know the U.S. Uh, State Department uh, and uh, the diplomats uh, engineered the war in 2001 in Macedonia, which is by now you know widely accepted. To the extent that people think about it and talk about it, it's that it, the U.S. was heavily involved in this, uh, f- that we were attacked from a NATO territory of Kosovo. Uh, then the U.S. obviously engineered the 2015 colored revolution that further weakened Macedonian national identity, Macedonian, the Macedonian nation-state. They would say, okay, now the U.S. is doing the same tricks in Ukraine and it's trying to divide and split the Slavic world, the largest Slavic country, and uh, whoever it could get to work against the largest Slavic country against Russia. And, uh, it's obviously couched in a, in a position that is tragic, the sooner it ends, the better, that uh, uh, the Ukrainians obviously are not, uh, did not want this, did not want to poke the bear, the Russians obviously, as a nation, do not want this, uh, this type of response, if you would ask the people broadly, I mean, I don't know how they would respond, I mean, I'm actually scared to think how both sides would respond, especially the Russians, if you would poll all of them or, you know, realistically poll the people. But uh, we like to think that uh, both sides would not want a war and that it would end quickly. Uh, how it would end and how they should develop in the future, nobody knows. I mean, I, I'm obviously falling more on the, on the second position that this was uh, years and years of persistent uh, American interference, meddling in a country in which obviously it was not doing well. Well, it was Russian dominated economically, politically, uh, but uh, now it's in a war. And uh, it wouldn't have been if Trump was president, it wouldn't have been if it weren't for the two colored revolutions. Uh, <clears throat> so it, it wouldn't It wouldn't have been if we, the United States, had not pulled out disastrously out of Afghanistan in the fashion in which we did. Uh, yeah. I think that sent a signal. <clears throat> I think I think it's true in, in throughout history that weakness invites aggression mm-hmm. uh, in whatever way. And 
when when we pulled out of Afghanistan, the way we pulled out of Afghanistan, which was a disaster, which the Biden administration still won't admit, uh, Vladimir Putin and the world, others saw that as a sign of weakness. Uh, so yes, all of those all those factors I think contributed. Uh, I think you're right, and and I think we need to admit, I, I, and I think uh, you know, e- even those who um, th- those who do believe that this is an absolutely a disastrous war started, unnecessary war started by Vladimir Putin, would agree that Russia has valid security concerns that those mm-hmm. need to be addressed. And I'm, I'm, I am not knowledgeable enough to be able to tell you that they were or were not being addressed. Uh, if you look at the broad sweep of history, obviously Russia has been invaded um, many times, going back to the Swedes in the 1200s and then Napoleon and then obviously Hitler, the, the siege of Leningrad, if you read about it or, or watch documentaries, is absolutely horrific. The Russian people have suffered greatly, especially in the last century, at the hands of others and at the hands of their own people. Uh, so you can't just dismiss that out of hand. Um, pivoting slightly to, to a couple of other things, I, I think it was in, in, in rapid succession here and in not necessarily in any particular order, I noticed that uh, the Kosovo president uh, demanded immediate NATO membership. Uh, I, and I know the Ukrainians are demanding immediate EU membership. Uh, and I'm sure the Macedonians would have something to say about both of those. Um, that I think we're joking that we're now inviting Russian forces into our territory as a shortcut to EU membership. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, not something you want. Uh, it is interesting, you know, when you, when you take a step back and you look at the, the bigger picture, obviously the, the political, geopolitical West, uh, has condemned and, and, and united on this as never before. I mean, when the Germans start arming again, you, you, you know that yeah. something's going on. Um, but there's other countries that haven't. I mean, obviously China, I, I don't recall seeing a, a, a statement from the Chinese government actually condemning it. There may have been, there may not have been, but they're Broadly obviously... Broad strokes. Yeah, but they're, 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 they're lukewarm in it for a whole bunch of reasons which we can talk about. Uh, but other countries, uh, India, South Africa, Egypt... Um, India was sure a about, surprise for me. Yeah, the, the broader Muslim world. Um, so other countries are, are not on board. Obviously, the UN Security Council, uh, the, the five permanent members, yeah. which includes Russia, didn't, did not vote to condemn. shared by Russia now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Russia is uh, the chairman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How ironic. I think, um, or they just shared the first meeting, I'm not sure. Yeah. No, I'm not sure that either. But yes, but uh, it, it is fascinating to uh, to see the, the the world reaction and how others are not necessarily condemning it. And then, of course, you know, let's talk about China uh, because does this make China more hesitant in their eventual uh, attempt to take over Taiwan, or does this embolden them? I'm I'm of two minds on that, and and mm-hmm. I can. You know, I think a lot depends on the resistance that you'll see from the Chinese on Taiwan. Uh, and I don't know what that is. I just don't know enough about it. Um, again, going back to what I said earlier, I think that the, the, the Russian government, Vladimir Putin in particular, were surprised by the resistance from the Ukrainians. Um, but yeah, on like... Chinese on Taiwan, I don't know. So listen, uh, of all these items, probably the most important one for me is Germany announcing it's going to start buying like hundreds of billions of weaponry from, uh, you know, it's going to arm itself and obviously it's going to buy American in, I guess, its own weaponry. But Mm. out of those hundred billion, a lot of it, I'm sure, is going to go to American manufacturing companies. So, I mean, my response here was maybe now that this is accomplished, the richest country in Europe 
going to rearm itself, canceling Nord Stream, maybe buying American LNG in the future, and etc. Maybe the Americans will allow the Ukrainians to surrender. <laughs> it's a <laughs> tongue-in-cheek comment, but we gotta entertain the the idea that the U.S. and Russia are probably both gonna get what they want out of this, mm. what they really want, and that may, maybe both are not really that opposed to the the things that are transpiring here. The U.S. obviously pushed the Russia obviously uh, Russia obviously responded in a way which is criminal. Uh, to its core, but you know, in the end, Russia could end up gaining territories which it considers the birthplace of its uh, historic birthplace of its country, uh, Kiev and Rus, uh, uh, the Donbas industrial region, Crimea is obviously there is now expanded. Odessa, you know, all these glories of the of Catherine the Great, etc. While mm-hmm. the U.S. on the other side now has. Uh, a raison d'etre for the NATO alliance. Nobody can now say, as we would in this podcast so often and, and lightly, that NATO is useless, obsolete organization. Now everybody needs to listen to them. They are now undisputed rulers of uh, the continent, of the western part of the continent. Uh, uh, even, you know, we are very close to having uh, even minor media outlets like this podcast uh, being shut down because, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> This is going to be not not going fully along with uh, uh, the Western narrative on Ukraine. Is pretty soon, I think, going to be as much even more dangerous than not wearing a mask and uh, while you walk toward the restaurant before you take it off before you sit down. Uh, so uh, both sides may end up getting uh, what they want, and obviously, you know, the war in Syria was not enough to provoke this reaction among the European countries uh, because uh, uh, it's now widely discussed issue that <laughs> Europeans apparently react differently when blue-eyed, blonde, uh, blonde-haired uh, people are getting killed than when it was the Syrians. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, you know, both sides may end up uh, winning to the point that, you know, we could discuss if this was something that was agreed and uh, the fact that there is no i mean american sanctions on energy exports from russia something that you know the us could easily supply at least for itself and at least the oil could be easily supplied if not the if not the gas i think i mean with the uh, pumping capacity in the us which was being shut down so they're not they're serious it's a lot of bluster it's a lot of uh, rhetoric but um <clears throat> i there are things not being done that could end this more quickly, and uh, uh, there are maybe uh, a lot of glad handing in, in the background, which we're not seeing between both both sides. I mean, Ukraine is not obviously a participant in this war. It's the, it is the participant in the war, but it's not the, the actual fighting power. It's now a proxy for whole of the West, whole of uh, for the U.S. for. Uh, the British, and then to a lesser extent, Germans, Italians, French, etc. Poland, of course, and the Baltics. So, uh, I don't know. <laughs> my my <laughs> first position was, I, I hope they, uh, now that, uh, I, I was hoping that they would put on a tough face for Russia, that it maybe does not attack. 
now that it has attacked, I hope they collapse quickly and surrender quickly because I don't want to see that country devastated and destroyed and then hopefully the sanctions would get Russia to accept some kind of like a, a fair agreement on what would uh, the future of that country look like. But now that they crossed the Rubicon, I mean, uh, again, these are both friendly brotherly nations as we consider them here and I, I want this to stop. I mean, I don't have any, any way uh, possible. Right. No, I completely agree with you. Yeah, we, the, the, uh, the it, people are, innocent people are dying, uh, and that needs to stop. Uh, the On the issue of, you mentioned that you wanted to, to see the, basically the, correct me if I'm wrong here, the Ukrainian government collapse and then sanctions over time to, to convince Putin to reverse course. Well, yeah, I mean, not to overextend. I mean, he's right. certainly not going to take the Lvov region, but then it's a matter of question what to do with the rest. I mean, is there going yeah. to be like a rump Ukraine in the middle around Kiev? Does, and he takes the coast and the, the Donbass. Is he going to leave even the coast to Ukraine and then just take the two republics he declared and Crimea? I mean, uh, that's... Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think... Vladimir Putin has demonstrated in words and deeds uh, that he wants to go into Kiev, decapitate the leadership, install yeah. his own regime, uh, and then, you know, and then leave a garrison wherever that needs to, to hold it. Uh, I think that's his, that's pretty obvious. That's what his stated intention is. And that, that would involve the killing of a lot of, of leaders and probably their families as well if they haven't fled. Um, mm -hmm. So the problem with that, though, I think, is that the Ukrainians themselves have just demonstrated over the past week, less than a week, uh, is that they will never allow that to happen. Whatever puppet regime Vladimir Putin theoretically installed in Kiev would never be able to hold the country, no matter. It would be a war of, it would be urban guerrilla warfare, war of attrition. It would be akin to... Um, my closest example that I know would be the Estonian Forest Brothers, uh, who, who battled um, the various occupying forces, uh, first the, the Germans and then the Russians, uh, uh, in in their country uh, through all those years, just literally sniping at them, uh, and he wouldn't be able to hold it. At the same time, uh, you got to consider what's going on back home in, in, in Russia with, obviously we've seen the, the scenes of the protests and people being arrested and things like that. I've, I've seen reports of oligarchs that are, that are, uh, that are expressing their displeasure. Um, and, and we don't know what's going on within Putin's inner circle, wherever that might be stationed right now. I don't know if it's in Moscow or someplace in the Urals or wherever, mm -hmm. some bunker deep, deep below. But I mean, the man has obviously grown quite, paranoid over the years um yeah. i i think he has this is my own belief i think he has a terminal illness that he knows about and this is his last attempt uh to do something uh to, to make his mark in history mm. uh you know he famously said what 10 years ago that the greatest the the greatest disaster of the 20th century was the dissolution of the soviet union and he mm. also said in 2004 there is no such thing as a former kgb man so uh i uh, it's funny. I was talking to an Estonian friend of mine last week, who's uh, pretty high up in his Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and and he told me unprompted. He said, "You know what? I think Putin has a terminal illness." And you know, we've seen more and more people start to talk about this. It's an, it's entirely possible. But 
the, the more that he slowed down in in his attempt to take over Ukraine, uh, I think the more and the more the sanctions and everything else that's going on, the more desperate he's going to become. It's not out of the realm. I always like talking about possible and probable, two different things. Everything is possible. Not everything is probable. So it's entirely possible he could go completely mad and use nuclear weapons in Ukraine or on a NATO country. If he does it on a NATO country, it's game over uh, for everybody. Yeah. Uh, No, the Chinese will emerge victorious uh, because they will be unscathed. Um, But if, if he... If, if he doesn't take Ukraine, Kiev, and, and, and the rest of Ukraine, what are his own people going to do at home? Are there going to be people in his own inner circle that decide to, you know, knock him off? And then, beyond that, let's just say, theoretically speaking, that, that Putin was gone. I don't think we should assume that the next guy is going to be nicer. Yeah. <laughs> it could be much worse. And then, here's one other thing I want to say on this. Um, I think... At some point, obviously, uh, Vladimir Putin will no longer lead Russia. That's just a fact. Yeah. Uh, we all die. Um, but if it comes sooner than what would be a normal lifespan, and if it comes in a violent way one way or the other, uh, my fear is that the political West will engage in triumphalism, uh, as we have seen us do yeah. so many times before. We did in the early 90s at the collapse of the Soviet Union. And I think, this is just a theory, uh, and I'd like to know, get your reaction on it, that the progressive left in the West will use this as an excuse then to further push their agenda. I mean, t- oh, yeah. take, take uh, for example, um, the shutting down of uh, Russian media in, uh, I, I, mm. I don't know if it's all the EU or just certain EU countries, as well as the, uh, the, the banking uh, crackdown, the SWIFT, uh, disconnecting from SWIFT. What's to stop in a post-Putin world, what's to stop the EU from doing those things in, say, Poland or Hungary because the, and I'm using scare yeah, quotes course, here, the wrong government is elected? Of course, uh, of course. I think that's entirely possible. And, and we've seen a precursor of that with Justin Trudeau in Canada. Yeah. Uh, freezing, uh, he, the government didn't freeze the bank accounts. The government can't do that. The government hinted strongly, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more, say no more to banks. You ought to shut down the bank accounts of these truckers, uh, yeah. which is devastating to the truckers and their families and highly illegal, uh, according to everything that I've read and seen. So that's my fear, is that in a post-Putin world, if he goes sooner rather than later in a violent way yeah. and there's triumphalism and dancing, dancing in the West, that that will be, that'll be a, a major issue that, that will disrupt and... and and afflict the West for some time to come. Yeah, yeah of course, that's, that's a given. I mean, on one hand, uh, okay, Putin is old, Erdogan is old, and uh, they are both, uh, you know, Erdogan took Nagorno-Karabakh. Now, there is talk there about uh, Northern Cyprus, like annexing it as, uh, Putin, as uh, Putin did Crimea. And then, you know, the leader leaves, and uh, in the case of Putin, you know, maybe he grabs as much as he can of Ukraine, then he leaves. Obviously, Russia is going to be a pariah under him, but then he stole somebody else who would obviously say, listen, I can't go back on this, what was done, but let's try to, I don't know, appease things in, in other ways uh, that we can. Um, the West is triumphant now on the uh, resistance in Ukraine. Uh, again, m- me considering both nations close, I, I want this 
to end quickly. I mean, the, what the Russia is committing are not a lot of troops. Mm -hmm. They do not have that many troops and they're not committing that many troops. Uh, in a country of 40 million, in a city of 3 million, they're encircling it with, what, like 50,000 soldiers? It's ridiculous. Uh, so I, I'm guessing they're hoping for of being welcomed as liberators in at least some parts of the country, like Kharkov and uh, and even this is apparently not happening. Uh, and then uh, installing some kind of like uh, figurehead who would be more uh, pro-Russian in the future. That's why you know uh, removing uh, Zelensky in the first charge would have been the best uh, option. Uh, to avoid bloodshed and once the tanks have started rolling, the best option would have been avoiding war altogether. But now the West is triumphant and they're giving weapons to the Russians. Look, there we've, we've stopped them. Whereas, you know, somebody pointed out that it took, I don't know how many weeks for the US army to roll over open terrain without any consideration for at least the troops. You know, you can have to consider that in the case of Russia, they might even have some consideration even for the soldiers. Uh, apart from the Azov, you know, the most hardline Ukrainian uh, soldiers, uh, they would still consider the normal conscripts as somebody you don't want to kill because his mother, father, his brother then is your enemy. So, um, I mean, okay, it's not realistic to expect that they'll take Kiev with such sm small forces in, less t in days when it took the US weeks to reach uh, Baghdad. Uh, but then... Uh, once they have committed, uh, maybe they will not be able to take the cities, which are, you know, obviously concrete uh, death traps, but they can easily take out electricity, water, and then uh, just by definition, the, the cities will be starved out. So uh, then, you know, you just negotiate for a few days and hopefully, I don't know, I mean, I'm just saying this, this hor horrible stream of things in such casual tone because we have actually seen it in in here in Macedonia to a low extent uh, I've seen mm -hmm. it in I've been to Sarajevo, I've been to Srebrenica, to Zagreb etc. We had a major city in Macedonia deprived of water in the peak summer by de facto you know US supported Albanian groups from Kosovo. Mm -hmm. So um, <clears throat> you mentioned Estonia now I would consider, I mean, I would consider it a duty to fight a foreign nation in, invader, like we have Greeks, we have, uh, who are, who, with whom we share religious kinship, but after all our history, and you know, there's two different nations, obviously we don't like each other, or Albanians. Uh, I would consider fighting a kin of religious and, and, and ethnicity uh, over ideology. So, you know, uh, you, the Estonians were fighting the Russians both on the grounds of this is an alien nation, alien religion, who are coming to enslave us, and, you know, how many of them were deported by Stalin in Siberia, etc. And then the country was settled with Russians uh, forcibly. Now, then, now Russia obviously raises the minority rights issue here, and to a much greater extent in Ukraine, and to some extent, especially in Ukraine, they have some ground to stand on, but even, you know, even if the Estonians were purely, you know, Russians and Orthodox Christian, uh, it would still be worth fighting the Soviet army because uh, they were communists. And uh, I would definitely consider it a duty to fight an evil ideology. Mm. At the moment, Russia does not espouse this ideology. The Russian part of Ukraine 
uh, will be poorer than the American uh, or let's say a Russian ran Ukraine under Yanukovych or Kuchma would be poorer than uh, Yushchenko or what was his name, uh, Yatsenyuk or whatever, Zelensky, Poroshenko ran Ukraine. But they would not be ideologically different. They would both be corrupt kleptocracies in which a foreign power determines the ruler, in one case the US embassy, in another case the Russian embassy, uh, varying degrees of media freedom, ability to conduct business, travel, etc. But it wouldn't be such a fundamental change. So uh, <clears throat> if I were, you know, a Ukrainian now, my readiness to resist would probably depend on my family's national background, you know, how far east I am, how committed we were to either Ukrainian freedom. Have we lost mem family members in the uh, Holodomor or not? Mm. Uh, were, were we, was our village attacked more, than, uh, more by the uh, Russian gangs or more by the Ukrainian gangs during some of the back-and-forth occupations? And, you know, in Macedonia at the moment, it's something similar. You know, we have pro-Serbian, we have pro-Bulgarian alliances uh, within the Macedonians. And uh, my level, my readiness to offer resistance to a Serbian or a Bulgarian occupier would not be the same as that if we're talking about a, a Greek or an Albanian. Right. So uh, it's a different nation. I get your point. I mean, I had fun pointing out to the Bulgarian prime minister when he said we stand with Russia, blah, with Ukraine, blah, 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 that, you know, I quoted portions of Putin's speech to him in a tweet, and you know, I had some people saying, yeah, okay, get your point, that, mm -hmm. you know, the position Bulgaria takes toward Macedonia, it's an artificial nation, it was invented by Tito, 1945, and then Putin says, okay, it's, Ukraine is an artificial, <laughs> artificial nation, nation invented, in, yeah. By, by, by yeah. Lenin, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but uh, there is also some degree, not of truth to that, but uh, I would not consider myself existentially threatened by either of these two nations, as I would by the Greeks and the Albanians. So again, in Ukraine, I, I know that for many it's a matter of life or death. For some, it's probably replacing one corrupt uh, kleptocrat, whether I'll be ruled by uh, Putin's uh, son-in-law or by Biden's idiot drug addict son who would uh, uh, control my business and, uh, you know, or his friends uh, he has acquired in Ukraine would control me, etc. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know. It's not, it's not the, com the free world against communist uh, totalitarianism. It might be in China, it definitely would be in... Uh, I don't know, in the North Korea or oof, maybe Venezuela, but mm. uh, I'm not really seeing it here to that extent. Right. Yeah. No, I, I get your points. They're all well taken. Um, yeah. Obviously, I think, um, uh, you know, we, we want to see the war end quickly because people, innocent people, families, women, children are dying uh, mm. needlessly. And, yeah, 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 uh, of course. But I think it's also fair to say that that's not necessarily going to happen right away, even though I see I'm just scrolling through the Twitters here right now, and the, the talks are entering their sixth hour now uh, between mm -hmm. the Ukrainians and the Russians uh, near the Belarusian border. Um, how this is going to play out, I, have, I, I don't know. I, I, I think the longer 
the Ukrainians resist, the worse it is going to be for Vladimir Putin and his inner circle, and the more desperate he will become. I think that's a reasonable, reasonable statement. Uh, and what he does, I don't know. Yeah, I was surprised he didn't uh, go for more territory in 2014 with Crimea and Donbass. Immediately, I, I was actually surprised at how little he carved out. I mean, knowing how at least they consider Kharkiv and, of course, Odessa. And now I'm reading some reports that the people in Kharkiv have, Kharkov, whatever it's, uh, have become jaded against Russia and they're no longer considering themselves, you know, Russian first, Ukrainian second, uh, to the extent they did before. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, uh, may, he may definitely have bitten off more than he can chew, but now that he committed, I don't see mm. how he loses militarily to the extent that, you know, if things drag on, they're going to be begin to get more and more uh, bad for the civilians. So, uh, yeah, but you also need to consider Russian troop morale. Uh, my yeah. understanding of the troops in the north versus the troops in the south, the troops in the south are, are, are more of a cohesive units uh, based on their uh, training and, uh -huh. and how long they've been together and things like that, the, okay. where the units in the north come from various different regions, and it's kind of a hodgepodge group of of various divisions uh, put together that don't have that unified spirit mm -hmm. in terms of fighting. So, um, you know, and plus the, plus the information war that's going on on all sides, uh, you know, uh, it's, I have to, I have to, as a PR guy, I have to give it to the mm -hmm. Ukrainians. Their, their yeah. PR machine is very, very fine tuned. Yeah. Very good. Uh, I don't think Russia is actually doing much in terms of PR. I haven't seen much yeah. in terms of either we're advancing or, uh, they, 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 I saw some pictures of uh, Ukrainians ostensibly shelling Donbas. Mm -hmm. Other than that, you know, but but then you know all the big stories were quickly debunked, like the sailors who uh, who made the baston, you know, up here as response to the Russians, then they, and were well, then killed, and then turns out they're yeah, they're not. Killed. No, they they were taken captive actually. Yeah, so. yeah the the woman with the bloodied face, you know, she turned out to yeah. be a German woman. And, uh, the ghost of Kiev. Somebody was posting a picture of Zaev on that American <laughs> aircraft carrier. With the, you know, this is the. I missed that one. The, if you were wondering where the where the guy is, he was the. I'm the ghost of Kiev. <laughs> you know, it's all oh. quickly being debunked, and, and even you know there is even then a response. Well, uh, well, look, the Russians were hiding the truth about the sailors to unnerve their friends. No, I mean, okay, you lied. The, it's I'm not, it's not even the Ukrainians doing it. Let's be real. It's the it's Langley and it's Pentagon putting this out, and um, it was okay. You lied. You got caught on it. Thank God they're alive. But uh, you know, then something real is going to happen. Like there is this horrible footage from Kharkov today, and mm. you, you don't know. You know, do do we take it for granted? Do we? I don't know. Well, let's uh, let's leave it at that. I mean, we're recording this uh, mid early morning. Well, nine o five my time right now, so it's what uh, five o five your time. We'll, hopefully, we'll get this out today because things on the ground mm -hmm. obviously change quite quickly. Uh, so who knows what tomorrow is going to be? Uh, and uh, and maybe we'll revisit this uh, sooner. I think it's been what three weeks since we've done a podcast. Uh, yeah. Almost three weeks, so maybe we'll maybe we'll revisit it sooner, maybe not. Uh, 
obviously, uh, in terms of domestic politics, other than what you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, things are, are a little bit more low-key, at least from my vantage yeah, point, uh, you know, because people are kind of stopping and waiting and watching and holding their breath and waiting if waiting to see if yeah. uh, there will be a tomorrow uh, or if uh, or if that's uh, you know the end of the world as we know it to quote the REM yeah yeah I mean this was going to be our Ukraine podcast because the only thing we can contribute other than our amateurish you know military you know now we're switching from being covid experts and <laughs> i've the, seen those uh, memes Blitzkrieg, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yes i'm no i'm no longer an expert in epidemiology and virology i'm now an expert in foreign policy so yeah <laughs> i mean we can just you know just give an insight on how macedonians are and uh ugro estonian arizonians are, yeah. are viewing oh. this Although, here, here's a fun fact. I was actually slated, um, you know, I lived in Macedonia from 96 to 2003, and in late 2002, mm -hmm. I was supposed to move to Ukraine, to Kiev, to yeah, work, I remember on a, this. Yeah. work on a project there, and uh, fell through at the last minute. Um, mm -hmm. So, and, I, so, and I've, been, I've been to Ukraine six or seven times. So this was before their first Orange Revolution, right? Yes, yes, yeah. So, okay. uh, and, and I've been, yeah, mm -hmm. like I said, I've been there six or seven times, I think. I've got a... I do have a good friend there. He's a lawyer. He's in his mid mid forties, so I'm checking in on him to make sure he's okay. Yeah. He's in Kiev, uh, mm -hmm. so uh, and I've got to talk to. I've got a couple of friends, American friends, that have worked over there, uh, mm -hmm. so I need to check in. They're not there now, yeah. but uh, I want to yeah, keep tabs and see you what's going on. You were not supposed to be a tea tester for Yushchenko, right? No, <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> okay, that's good. <laughs> Uh, that would have been dangerous. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, uh, no, but it's, uh, I mean, no, and I was only in Kiev, uh, so I, I never got to see the rest of the countryside, but obviously, uh -huh. beautiful, beautiful city with uh, such an incredible history and culture yeah. and everything else. So, uh, I really enjoyed my time there. So, yeah. All right. Well, we will keep tabs on this and, uh, yeah, yeah, and we'll, God, uh, God be with them all. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, always good talking to you, Sven. You too, buddy. Take care.